0: This podcast is proudly supported by the post-production facility, Red Lab. Red Lab. See where your ideas can go. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Jean Yoon is an exemplary figure for creativity, leadership, and change in the Canadian entertainment landscape. In her following essay, White Life, the character Sally brings us to the first meeting with her Caucasian boyfriend's family. As the story moves along, we find ourselves thrust into the perspective of a Canadian-Korean next generation. And experience how casual conversation can quickly turn into unjust racial profiling.
1: Errol scoops boiled potatoes out of a pot and into a deep bowl. They look like huge eggs, what I imagine turtle eggs would look like if you could peel them. Bleached and tasteless, Potatoes are the one dish that make me dread these family dinners. You can't have dinner without potatoes, Errol says every time we sit down to eat. And they have to be mashed, pulverized, and further whitened with milk and a bit of butter. There are so many names to remember. Anne, John's mother, Errol, his father, Ted, Errol's brother, therefore John's uncle, Ted's woman, soon to be his third wife, Melanie or Maureen or Margaret, some name that starts with M. Bob, also Errol's brother, older than Ted, and Errol, and married to Janet, his second wife, or maybe his third, but certainly not his first. The mysterious and absent baby brother, Drew, who is an alcoholic. Linda, the only girl of the family and never mentioned. Anne's family is on the West Coast. She comes from a family of nine. I squeeze John's hand under the table. John passes me the carrots while his mother leans over solicitously. Try some Brussels sprouts, Sally. Parsnips, any one? John pats my leg as if to say, You'll be fine, Sal. It's just a meal. Relax. There are two forks, two of them. One is for the meat and the other for the salad? Or is the second for dessert and the spoon that lies like a headboard above my plate is to stir the coffee? Relax. I'm supposed to relax. Errol says, So tell us what a traditional Christmas is like in your family, Sally. I put down my fork, swallow, and think back. Traditional. Christmas. An oxymoron. Christmas in my family has always been a series of minor disasters, with the occasional success in emulating the festivities we saw played out on television. We had almost all of it worked out, but it was never spontaneous. A tree, presents, stockings, and even turkey dinner. I don't know how my mother managed that. She struggled to cook meals that didn't make sense to her, meals that never looked right, meals that tasted so bland that when it was all laid out, she would say she wasn't really hungry. She'd just watch us eat. Christmas, a white Christmas. Now I have it, snow drifting over the city, a white family, a white life. I start trying to explain this to Errol, but realize he is already drifting away, losing interest. He wants details of ethnic color, odd traditions from the old country. He wants me to tell him that Korean Canadians make turkey stuffing from kimchi and shrimp, that we have a version of Santa who wears silk and says, oom, un, ung" oong un, instead of ho, ho, ho. <laughs> More potatoes, Errol? Later, Ted asks me how I, as a Korean Canadian, feel about the Japanese. I tell him about Dad, who knows how to speak Japanese perfectly, but refuses to because of his deep resentment over the occupation. How the relationship between Koreans and Japanese has never been good, despite or perhaps because of the similarities between the two cultures. How the Japanese still refuse to grant full citizenship to those of non-Japanese descent, most of whom are Korean. The bitterness of it. Ted says, Oh yes, those Japs are so damn racist. He goes on to say how the internment of the Japanese was therefore justified, especially if you consider the times. He says the Japanese were never really Canadians. They never really felt Canadian, and there were, without a doubt, spies among those interned. How would you know? I bristle. And what about the children, the ones who'd never been to Japan, the ones who were born in Canada and grew up reading Anne of Green Gables, just like everyone else? How do you justify jailing a seven-year-old? He says... They were all Japanese. They were Canadian, I insist. And what about the German Canadians? Why weren't they all rounded up? Why wasn't all their property confiscated and sold off? What about German aliens? How exactly do you determine citizenship, Ted? By the color of your hair? By how round your eyes are? Bob and Janet both pull away from the table. Errol stands and starts stacking dishes. I'll go get the coffee, Anne says. I'll help, says Melanie. If war broke out between Korea and Canada, what would my status be? Would you have me shipped off to the Northwest Territories? My voice is very low, almost a growl. The room is utterly silent. Of course, war with Korea at this time is ridiculous. Ted leans back in his chair, expansive and totally at ease. The question is hypothetical. I stand and realize I am shaking. I feel flushed and hot. Janet laughs nervously. John puts his arm protectively around my waist. Anne stands pale and rigid at the head of the table, holding a coffee pot. Janet and Bob lunge for the table. We'll start taking these away, Bob says loudly starting with The Knives.
0: Writer, actor Jean Yoon and Lara Jean will discuss Jean's passionate involvement in leadership within her career, the evolution of her iconic Kim's Convenience character, and more.
2: All right, I'm Lara Jean Korstecki, and I'm here with Jean Yoon. Jean, it is an honor to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here.
2: Your essay, or I guess we could call it a short story, came into us, and Jen and I got so excited about having a wonderful different flavor to this podcast series. Where did the inspiration for this story come from? Is it based on a true event?
1: Yeah, uh, this I wrote, well, this is from about uh, 20, 25 years ago, and this happened. The names have all been changed, but pretty much everything that's here happened, including the clearing of the table that that line I st- I mean that's not the kind of line I can generate. that's the kind of line that you as a writer harvest, right Someone says, we'll just start clearing everything away starting with the knives <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, one of those family dinners that almost ends in um, a bar brawl kind of thing. <laughs> And what
2: inspired you to choose this piece to share with us now since you said you wrote it twenty, twenty-five years ago?
1: Well, there's there's been a lot of concerns for me as, a, as an artist. I mean, as an artist of color, you're always um, aware of the climate around issues of race and racism. And it's been a very strange time because on the one hand, in my personal life, things are going really well. With Kim's Convenience as an artist, I am... Suddenly, free to tell as an actor to tell my stories and and to show my community on a on a really broad scale. The show has gone not just from our national broadcaster CBC, but now it's available worldwide on Netflix, mm-hmm. and I'm really proud of it. So there's there's that on the one hand, but at the same time, um, for instance, the Conservative Party just recently here in Canada has. Come forward with a non-binding resolution that if they are in power, they would support a notion that would undermine the notion, the birthright notion of citizenship. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they're saying if they come to power that you would only have Canadian citizenship if you're born here, if one of your parents is Canadian. Which is horrific. Which is horrific. It, horrific. it leads to the possibility of children being born stateless. It undermines the notion of Canadianness, just just of, of being living here. Mm -hmm. And it makes people of color incredibly vulnerable and immigrants very vulnerable. And it's also in tune with what's happening in the States with Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions' move to uh, separate parents from their children Mm -hmm. and violating all of their rights as human beings to claim asylum with their deportation, arrest and deportation of undocumented Americans. So Mm -hmm. for me, the notion of citizenship is so fundamental that the idea of citizenship in Canada and in the United States is so vulnerable is kind of terrifying. So, yeah, I wrote this piece uh, about 25 years ago. I was living in Alberta with my boyfriend, who I later married, and, you know, lovely guy, but didn't work out. Mm. Great marriage, great wedding, (laughs) terrible marriage. Um, But uh, it was interesting because... You know, his family, half of his family was very liberal, very open-minded, but there were a couple in his family came from a large family where it was really awkward.
0: Mm.
1: you know, issues of race and racism would come up at family meals on a fairly regular basis. And it's it's interesting how how that can lie under under the surface of of just. Everyday life, and then some, suddenly it pops up, and you're sitting there thinking, you know, this man in front of me would agree to someone like me being interned. Like mm. that's shocking. Mm. That that that's a shocking experience. And these kinds of conflicts come up for people of color all the time. But it's weird when it's someone who's, you know, suddenly part of your new family. Mm-hmm. I read an interview
2: recently or I guess it wasn't so recently but I read it recently where you were quoted as saying when I was calling about auditions I got into the habit of announcing I'm Asian if that's a problem then let's not bother that is so awesome and bold can you speak more to that experience how did people react and has it improved at all well that was
1: in the early 80s so we're talking almost well that's a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) and it was um yeah, that was in the early '80s when I was in college and I was uh, auditioning for a lot of, you know, student shows or non-union shows. It was basically the caliber of, say, your fringe or indie indie mm-hmm. productions. And um, yeah, it would it was much easier and um, I think much more empowering to 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 announce it in advance because there was nothing worse than walking into the room and suddenly seeing everybody just their their interest and energy drop and you could just see them their minds like closing like a window going.
0: Nyeh.
1: Mm. so there would be a couple of different reactions the most conclusive one was often um just silence beat 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 where they just were stunned and they couldn't the re, the answer that they couldn't say and they didn't know how to formulate was no don't please don't bother coming in right mm. and when when that silence went on long enough i'd be Okay, thank you very much. I won't be bothering, you know, I won't be bothering you and wasting my time. And I just hang up. And then, um, but there were a couple of situations where people went, no, no, of course. And I think because I challenged them at the front end when I came in, the response was quite different. So. Uh. Mm-hmm.
2: So being outspoken really assisted in some ways too.
1: Well, it helped also to be anonymous you know <laughs> But yeah, things are there's, the, the, the world is very different uh, now. There, there's really no comparison, not just not just in terms of race and diversity, but also just in terms of what kind of theater community we have and what kind of film and TV community we have and, and how um, how our community has educated itself. Both in terms of diversity issues, but also in large part in terms of artist rights mm. and what we as artists expect in terms of how we conduct ourselves and how we expect to be treated. There's a a lot has changed in those in those decades.
2: We're recording this shortly after Labor Day. You just mentioned artist rights. I know you've served on a lot of committees over the years, and including currently as an ACTRA Toronto councillor, and you're very passionately outspoken for fostering change, growth, and inclusion. How do you feel our union is doing in supporting our artist community? Would you What would you like to see more or less of in terms of the union, in terms of us as artists and our engagement? I'm really proud
1: to be part of Actor, uh, Actor Toronto in particular, but Actor in general, because I really do feel that our union is working incredibly well and putting a lot of money and uh, energy and talent into investing in, in member education. Our conferences are really great. I think that that really... Has has helped. It certainly helped me, and it helps us move to the next level, and and also creates an environment where we're willing and ready and eager to share what we know, rather than, you know, sort of devolve into infighting. And yeah, there's a there are a lot of very smart, generous, and dedicated people working in the union, either as volunteers or as counselors, who are basically everyone's volunteer well obviously not the staff but but i mean (laughs) it's it's yeah it's a really great organization so the transition
2: of i'm going to segue a bit into kim's convenience you mentioned earlier how proud you are it's a wonderful show for those of you who haven't watched it go see it it's on netflix The transition of this particular show from stage to screen, you've been with this story for a very long time, provided you with this opportunity to expand the character beyond the constructs of the play. I personally think as an actress, this is an enviable opportunity. I I started in theater myself, and I sometimes think and wonder about the life of my characters beyond their short lives within a play or even within a film. How has that journey been for you? Is it a blessing to be able to take her further, or did you love kind of who she was within the construct of the original framework?
1: Oh no! I, I where she's going now in TV is fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. I mean, in the play, Oma uh, is a very is a, is a minor not minor character. Yeah, she's she's not there for we don't see that much of her. Mm. She's in a place where she's really grieving for a lot of lost for a family that's been split apart and she's in a place of sort of quiet despair. <laughs> so, uh where the where the TV show takes us is is before that, but also it shows us a younger Oma who's active and has her own life and her friends and it's such a joy. It's, it's so much fun to play. It's uh but very different from from the from the play. I know
2: you get to show with Paul's character as well a lot of your private life. gets to blossom on the TV show as well, which is so wonderful to see. Oh, it's so much fun. He's so much fun to work with. He's such a pretty incredible man. He's a great guy. Yeah. 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 I saw also you recently retweeted a Twitter user at Paul Wang who wrote, I want to live in the world of Kim's convenience where cultural diversity as the norm is so ingrained and accepted that it's become an afterthought, a part of the scenery and not used as a device you need to build an episode or two around. How important do you feel it is to be recognized for your talents, irregardless of your race? Or is it more important to you to embody the characters and stories that you know? Or is the ideal world a mix of both?
1: I don't understand the question. Ah, I'll ask you. <laughs> okay. You want me to repeat it? I just don't see how the two are in conflict at all. I don't think that there's a conflict at all. So I'm like, it's the, yeah.
2: Let me, how can I re ask this then? You're right. They're not particularly—I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking for. They're not in conflict. They're
1: not in conflict.
2: What do I want to ask, then, instead of that?
1: What what do you want to ask? What do I want to ask?
2: I'm interested in um, knowing—Naz came yesterday, and she was talking about being recognized for her talents— Irregardless of her race, in a really strong way, that being reduced to a label, she found uh, uh, was very painful for her. So, I guess I was wondering if if you've ever had a similar experience.
1: Oh, I see what you're asking. Yeah, me. I see what you're asking. So you you okay? So you're saying okay? This happens in every marginalized community where people will feel that they are being singled out and recognized because of whatever for some identifying factor of their of their marginal community whether it's I'm a woman or Canadian or Asian or black or lesbian we say I'm not a lesbian writer I'm just a writer I'm not a you know I'm not a just a great Canadian actor I'm just an actor you know that kind of thing I think that's what what, what it's not an uncommon reaction for a person to feel that um they need to reject their marginal identity in order to be fully recognized, they need to somehow exclude it. But I don't feel that at all. I think that's a, a very common syndrome, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not just artists. Like, uh, um, but I don't have that issue at all. I, maybe it's because I'm just old, and I don't, <laughs> I don't see that. I don't feel like that any particular aspect of me, whether it's woman or actor or Korean Canadian because I'm not Korean I am Canadian but I'm Korean Canadian or short or um, lactose intolerant that any of these particular uh, aspects of my identity need to be rejected in order for me to be fully recognized does that make sense absolutely what would you say to a
2: young woman or, or a man? um coming up facing that same reaction that you just spoke of that can can kind of happen with people where they feel they need to reject a part of themselves in order to fit in what advice might you give
1: well you know i have a teenage son and one of the things i've realized is that the less i talk the better like <laughs> there's nothing like unsolicited advice <laughs> to make someone really pissed off so i don't i don't know everybody has their own journey right Everybody has their own journey and are, are, are at different stages of it. People will figure, figure it out. I don't know if I have any advice like that for anyone. It's more a question of listening. But I, I personally feel that when you feel you are regularly under scrutiny and you doubt whether or not you are being valued for your essence when you start to doubt that you are being valued for your ethnicity or for your gender, and st- it's it's really a troubling experience. And I can understand where, where your friend was coming from completely. My feeling is that that whole experience of, of frustration and anger and and um, what's the word I'm looking for, a feeling boxed in, that's all a question of context as opposed to who you actually are are in your essence and it's it's i don't know i don't have any advice i just i would just listen really it i'm just i'm not there at that point right now you know i know that when i was younger i would get really annoyed when i would i would see like other artists who would uh, attribute something about themselves to their asianness like oh, I you know, these are my colors, you know, it's because I'm Asian, an Asian sensibility. And sometimes I would kind of go like, what are you talking about? It's like sort of made up. Or I'd see some writer writing something about their, some Asian story, but they actually hadn't experienced themselves. And and I would get really frustrated because, it, you know, some poorly researched piece of writing by an Asian writer about, you know, a, some in some Asian context is still a poorly researched Piece of writing, Mm. but they would get away with it (laughs) because they were Asian, (laughs) and that would make me a little crazy. And I would my 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 sort of tagline for that was uh, ethnicity is gimmick.
0: Mm.
1: And you know, if you as an artist are using your ethnicity as a gimmick, like playing up your ethnicity um, for for some kind of gain, that's just not cool. I don't think that's cool. It's tempting to do, but the other thing that's not cool is the feeling that maybe you're only being that you are being the assumption that you were somehow playing your ethnicity is gimmick I, I don't know this is a this is like i feel like i'm circling the drain here but it's really you know in in this in this story for instance like she's the expectation of my of my um in-laws that that there was some traditional korean um celebration of christmas the want the desire for ethnic color like trying fulfilling that expectation that is creepy right mm-hmm. And feeling that maybe your work is valued because people think that that's what you're doing. That's creepy, too. And I think that might be part of what this is. a. This is I don't know if you should use any of this. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. Um, but this is not my, that. Yeah, that's not my thing. So. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what I don't can, like going down that hole. It's, no, just, it's, it's I, pointless because it's all about referencing somebody else's expectations. And it's just like, no, move on. You're an artist. You're You know, you know how good you are. Just get on with it. Don't. Ki- why? Why? Why do you care mm-hmm. about what anybody else thinks or doesn't think about who you are and how good you are? Why do you care? Don't care. Keep going. That's all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Let me let me ask you just a, a, a more of a work question than to end. Um, in addition to Kim's convenience, you have an immense and impressive body of work behind you that has spanned stage and screen and so many oh. different genres. <laughs> it's it's really quite something. Is there a particular thing that you love the most? Is it stage? Is it sci-fi? Is it comedy? Is it drama? Is there something that really gets you going and gets that artist imagination triggered and you just want to immerse yourself in that world?
1: I'm I'm really loving what I'm doing right now. I'm really loving... Um, the comedy and um, the the liberty and the security that having a decent paying job has given me, like <laughs> I'm really, really loving that. <laughs> you know, I, I have done a lot of different genres and different things. I've, I've tried, um, you know, as a writer, as a as a theater producer, as an actor. Right now, it right now I'm really enjoying myself, <laughs> and I have to say, I'm also really enjoying watching our community grow. Um, watching artists come into full voice, watching communities come into full voice, it's really fulfilling.
2: Thank you so much for taking the time today <laughs> to share with us. It's such an honor to have you here. I've admired you for many, many years, and it's great to finally oh. sit down and chat with you. Oh, Thank thanks. you.
1: Thanks.
0: Jean Yoon is an award-winning actor, playwright, writer, and poet. As former co-artistic director of Cahoots Theatre and producer for numerous grassroots companies, much of her theatre career has been dedicated to advocating development for playwrights and artists. Jean is well-known for her impressive and expansive list of film and television projects, especially as Uma from the multi-award-winning CBC comedy series, Kim's Convenience, for which she was nominated for two Canadian Screen Awards, as well as honored with the Actor Award. We are extending a very big thank you to Jean for sharing her time and joining us today at the Red Lab Digital Studios. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts, and check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. I'm Jennifer Pogue, and we are Women Women on on Screen. Screen. Women on Screen Out
2: Loud was recorded at the post-production facility Red Lab. This project was created and produced by Lara Jean Korstecki and Jennifer Pogue, with sound engineering and editing by John Lawless and original music by Erica Percunier. This podcast would not be possible without the support of Women on Screen founders Lauren McKinley, Farah Marani, and Kira Murphy. This has been a Women on Screen production.